This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. So we're here today with Dr. Ken Druck with uh, his book, Courageous Aging. We're very excited to learn more both about uh, Dr. Druck personally, but also kind of his perspectives on aging as uh, this is something that we all are doing, hopefully. So uh, learning how to do it well. And so thank you, uh, Dr. Druck, for joining us today. So good to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me in your living room. I love the title, Courageous, because I, I honestly think getting out of bed every day is courageous yes. for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's some days I just don't want to do it. Especially when the flannel sheets are on. Watch I, it. Sorry. That's it. Uh, but where'd you get the title? I just thought that was an interesting title. You know, Sean, I, I think of, the, of courage as the greatest virtue uh, courage is embedded in every one of the, the most important virtues in our lives. And I believe that in every season, in every new season of life, we are challenged to summon a newfound courage. And, you know, whether we're turning 30 or 40 or 50 or whether we're having our first kid or having our first job or changing jobs or retiring or going through changes in our lives, significant changes, it requires courage. You know, years ago, I, and I, I wish I was wise enough 30 years ago to have retained this. But um, way back when, when I started radio, I had a much older class of folks. It was the first probably year of doing programming. And we um, did a program that was talking about end-of-life planning. Uh, way back yeah. then, had one author that actually from Harvard that kind of came up with it, it was just um, really insightful. And um, I then received in the mail this uh, single sheet that I read multiple times, and of course, you know, misplaced it. But it talked about uh, when you're 80 years old, how you get ready for the day. And then uh, by the time you're done with all that, you're ready to go to sleep. But it was just so well played out of so many changes that occur in your life and how you have to adapt to them. And I, I love the whole idea of the whole idea that you said it, it ain't for sissies. I think that's 100% right. But I wish I had that. I would read that. It would just be perfect. But of course, I don't have yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, we have a chance with, especially now that eight, what it means to be 80 or 70 or 60 or 50 is completely changing. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, there are going to be 120 million people over 65 by the year 2020, you know, so we're, wow. we're, and we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. So we're gearing up for a, a change in the world and really reimagining our best possible future. We're having to think outside of the old box that said what you're supposed to be like and supposed to do at 45, 55, 65, and so on. Yeah. That's actually a great segue. You talk about um, there are some common myths of aging, um, one in particular that aging gracefully. I mean, I just I wish um, you could spend a little bit of time with us to expound a little bit on some of those common myths and what you're finding and what what you're reporting out in your book. Yeah, Amy, you know, more important than graceful aging is audacious aging, irreverent aging, you know, is is really defining not buying into opting out of what our culture, the deeply embedded elements of what it means to be getting older in our consciousness and our culture, and opting out of that and saying, wait a minute, what what could I be doing that would make me so excited? Wake up, look forward to every day, 
what is my best possible future and really to spend some time exploring what that looks like in very concrete terms. Mm, yeah, that's great. But definitely, um, I can I can relate to the audaciousness, I hope, having started skating in roller derby over the age of 40. Um, I'm just thankful is... <laughs> every Friday she shows up to the podcast, she hadn't killed herself. Exactly. I mean, it, but yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's great. And there's, there's actually um, quite a movement of content and, and people speaking out about that idea now that, you know, it, if you want to start running marathons when you're 70, you know, do it. People are doing it. Yeah, um, or, or just, you know, changing the way you eat or changing, you know, your habits or whatever. And that, that kind of what we've maybe been told all along, you know, like, well, be careful with yourself because you might break as you get older or whatever is, in fact, maybe counterproductive to living the longest, healthiest life that you can. Exactly. You know, and we're, we're all different. Some of us are not going to be able to do the rollerblading thing. You know, we're not going to be climbing Mount <laughs> Everest. <me>. 80, <laughs> you know, so, but that's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay to say, look, that's not my deal. Yeah. You know, my deal is, is this, and I can't, you know, it's okay to grieve our younger selves. It's mm. okay to say, mm. you know what, the younger me used to be able to do this. And it's, you know, I, it's sad. I wish I could still do it. But now I need to focus on what I can do right now. What's what's waiting there for me? What adventures? What passions? You know, what inquiries? What, what do I want to make? What re, What in my relationships could get better? You know, what's there for me now? And keep the focus and greet the older version of ourselves in the mirror instead of admonishing them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll tell you one thing that I have noted over the years, and it, it really becomes clear in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and, and you, you mention it uh, and talk about it, is when uh, individuals have expectations of their life, hold grudges and regrets from, from past life, and how that literally stagnates them. I mean, it, it almost eliminates their future life, and I think you could do a good job of addressing, at least discussing that. Tell us a little bit more about what you have found in those areas. Well, Sean and Amy, you know, sometimes it's time to let go. It's time to let go of the way we beat ourselves up for what we didn't do or the opportunity that we didn't completely harvest or, you know, a relationship that didn't pan out the way we had hoped. You know, sometimes we're standing in the ashes of plan A. That's part of life. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it, we reach a point in life where, where there's an opportunity to let go, to forgive ourselves, to forgive somebody else, or at least not to be seething with anger because of something somebody did. And we need to take advantage of those opportunities as a measure of our own health to clear the air so we're not contracting around pain and anger. We're expanding. We're letting go of those things. We're lightening up. We're traveling lighter, simpler. We're uncluttering our lives. Hey, how about this as a do book title? <laughs> Forgiveness, the skills you don't have. I love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. that's a yeah. tough one. I mean, yeah. it's easy to it's say. A tough one. It's very difficult it's to forgive. And, and, you know, there's a difference between forgive and forget. You're not supposed to forget somebody that's going to steal your money and not give it back, but to forgive them so you can move forward does make a big difference. Yes. Yeah. And I think I, I think it's look at the price that we pay for staying angry right. and mm-hmm. embittered and cynical and holding grudges, even in our own families. Look at the price that our families pay because we're holding grudges. Let's clear the air. Let's apologize where we need to. 
let's ask for apologies in order to patch up relationships that have gone sideways or gone through dry spells. And let's renew in a new season, let's renew our relationships and our, our sense of excitement about our life. I have never asked, I've never thought about asking for an apology. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, me either. You said that, and I'm going, I've never thought about asking for an apology. I don't know what that looks like. Could you yeah, give I've us done some it. views of that? Yeah, I've done it. You know, I, I actually went up to, to, to an old friend, somebody who I've treasured over the years, who really disappeared during a very difficult part of my own life. I, I went through a tragedy. I lost my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And this person went missing went absolutely missing and i didn't say anything about it for many years finally we ran into each other and i said you know first of all i owe you an apology i owe you an apology because i didn't have the confidence in our relationship to tell you that it really hurt me that i missed you that your love and support over the years has been so important to me but when i most needed you you seemed to be gone And I never told you how angry or disappointed I was. I kind of just blew you off. I wrote you off. And I said, that's number one. So number one, please accept my apology for not having the confidence that we could sit down and talk about this. Number two, I think, uh, first of all, I want to hear why you disappeared or if that's your perception of it. And if you did disappear, because I know this is it's hard to be around somebody who's grieving, somebody who's going through a dark period in their lives. But if you did disappear, I could use an apology from you. Hmm. Ouch. Yeah. How did that go? <laughs> it went well. Yeah, it actually went well. And they said, you know what? I, I almost felt as if you losing a child was like contagious. I, I couldn't. I didn't know what to say to you. Yeah. I didn't know how to relate to you. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. And I just kind of stepped back. And I am sorry. I am so sorry. And I want to tell you how my heart has hurt for you for so long. And, you know, I've always held you close. Wow. And that was important to me. And it cleared the air. And we now have, we've resumed a, a, not only a wonderful relationship, but we've deepened our friendship. And often we can do this with family members and friends. Yeah, it takes a tone of humility, not of arrogance and anger, a tone of humility. But we it sometimes it's only an apology away. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is that's excellent. very that's very powerful. I mean, you kind of gave him you gave him a way to do it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand, you know, I I've been there myself where we're around people that we love and they're going through a, a rough stretch and, and we just don't know quite how to be there or what to say. And uh, and we step back at a time where it probably would have reflected our love and care for that person to step forward. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I think thinking just about relationships in general, right, you talked about all of the different transitions each of us might face in life, new jobs and families and, you know, as we age, parents dying. And I mean, everybody is kind of walking on their own journey, but at the same time, I mean, you, like you said, you need you have friends and you have support and you hopefully have people in your life that are there to lift you up, but they may be at a different kind of a different point on their journey, right? And so giving people that ability to interact with you, like that that sort of grace to say like here here I am, I'm going to be vulnerable with you and and here's kind of what I would like to see our future look like together and how the relationship might change. I mean, what a like 
sort of simple but very complicated um, idea to to kind of walk through with people. Um, and it's yeah I, think, yeah, I think the aging courageously means that we have the conversations that are needed in our lives, whether they're with our coworkers. You know, I just had a, a kind of a, a real down home important meeting with my executive assistant yesterday. Tough conversation about how things really are, but so important, cleared the air, got us both on the same page. Mm-hmm. So courageous aging is is having the conversations rather than avoiding. Mm-hmm. It's facing into the opportunities of the day in our lives and rather than turning away and and uh, and living in fear and avoidance. Yeah, I kind of think when you said you kind of ran into this friend and then were of mind to be able to mm-hmm. launch into this is, is amazing, which means well-practiced, developed it over a period of time mm-hmm. makes a big difference. I think a lot of people would not want to just run into them. They probably want to run over them, right? <laughs> no. There you no. go. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's half the problem, yeah. right? Well, there's sort of an interesting... Um, almost dichotomy too, right? So we, you talked earlier about um, c- clearing the air, or like letting go of things in the past, but in a way, I mean, you didn't let go of it. I mean, there was a hurt there, right? And so holding on to it, but maybe in a healthy way, processing through how can you move forward so that you really can clear the air, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, I just, it's a, that's a very, um, that's a very difficult thing to hold both of those intention, right? Like that yeah. you don't want to be, um, hateful towards someone or let that negatively affect you. But I mean, obviously there was a negative impact to that experience, but now you're able to build a stronger outcome by being willing to face it. Exactly. Amy, yeah. you were, use the word processing. You know, I'm, I'm one who believes that we have, we've been gifted with these amazing systems with these processors, this ability to process what we're going through and sometimes that means processing it in our own minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. And that means facing into it, reflecting about it, thinking it through, thinking about what good result we want at the end. Mm-hmm. And sometimes processing means bringing something up to somebody we care about and where there's an opportunity to make the situation better rather than to sit on it and hide, deny, repress, avoid, try to outrun it, outnumb it. You know, those things don't work. They're not good long-term strategies. And hopefully as we get older, we get more wiser and and, and more courageous to face into these things. These are the opportunities of getting older rather than sitting in fear and dread like, oh, my God, I'm getting older. You know, (laughs) when did that happen? And admonishing the person in the mirror because look at you. You know, you've got wrinkles and gray hair or, you know, look at your change, how you're changing. Rather than living fear (laughs) and dread, let's live in the opportunity of the moment and the good things that are changing, the experience we gain, the wisdom we have, the newfound courage we have to be direct with other people in in the purpose of making things better. Mm -hmm. Like that. I do, too. Okay, next one. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> are you going to shift I, I gears on us? No. Well, I've never heard of psycho spiritual estate planning, estate either. planning, and a life planning. I've heard of uh, lots of other things. Never heard of this. Please. Yeah. What, what is what is psycho spiritual estate planning? Right. Well, it's psychological and it's spiritual because it's the part of estate planning that is so often neglected that that the plans that we put together are unimplementable. 
Hmm. We, they, we can't implement them or they don't come out right, even though we've put so much time into the legal and financial aspects. We haven't really set the table with our families so that we've put our house in order and we can live. You know, we, we don't do estate planning so we can die. We're doing <laughs> estate planning so we can right. live with a sense of freedom, mm-hmm. just like we don't buy insurance. We don't buy insurance because we want to die. We buy insurance because we want to have peace that if something did happen, that our family would be taken care of. And it's the same thing with good estate planning. You know, have I said all the things that I need to say? Have I really put my house in order? Have I done the work on the psychological side of what I need to say to my kids, what I've needed, how I need to explain what I've done with my estate plan? what I want them to remember. You know, I've written a, a letter to my, uh, my earth daughter. I, 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 I shared earlier that I lost my oldest daughter mm-hmm. and I, she's my angel daughter. <laughs> and see. then I have my earth daughter. And I wrote a letter to my earth daughter saying, you know, whether or not I'm here, I want to represent to you what's in my heart. And at the point that you have, if, if you guys decide to have a kid, I, I want to tell you as a grandfather, as a proud grandfather, everything that I feel and want and convey even directly to my grandchild, the things about life that I want them to know, and the person that I hope they will be. And I can say those things right now, just like I can plant a tree that my grandchild will sit in the shade of, that giving tree, mm-hmm. uh, even if I'm not here, that I can do things now that will make things better for my kids, my grandkids, and future generations. That's great. Like that. So in your book, you talk about leaving a legacy of love. Is that one of the ways that you Absolutely. are doing? Okay. Are, do you have other sort of, that's a very, I'm a very like, what practical advice, you know, the top three things or mm-hmm. like, you know, no, no, what, no, what, no. Are, what are some other, because I love also that idea of leaving a legacy of love. I've read some stories, you know, where people decide that they're going to have their funeral before they die, right? Because they want, like why wait for the party to happen and all the nice things to be said, you know, after they're gone kind of thing. Um, And so in some ways that sounds a a bit like that same kind of an approach, right? Where it's like, I want to share these ideas and thoughts with this person. They may not even exist yet, or maybe they're tiny, you know, a baby, but it's important that they understand how loved they are and how wanted they are in this world. And um, I guess I'm just curious if there are other sorts of things that you've found like that, that can help create that legacy, Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, we actually have a booklet that for anybody listening, if they want to go to our website, they can go to kendrock.com and there is a, actually a downloadable brochure called Leaving a Legacy of Love. Oh, great. Your psychological estate planning workbook. And, you know, it's not only in the Courageous Aging book, but it's in the, we have it in the workbook as kind of a breakout. Okay. And it outlines specifically what we need to do, what does it mean? And it, you know, the, the bottom line is that when we're gone, what have we left? What is the legacy? If we could write it right now, or if we ask those people closest to us, please say what, you know, what, what would you say at my memorial service about me? What legacy have I left? Is it one of kindness? Is it one of compassion? Did I, or did people walk around on eggshells around me? Hmm. Was, yeah. were, was, I, was I approachable? Did I make myself approachable and safe if anybody wanted to come to me and say something to me? Or even, you know, ask for an apology or correct me on something or tell me that I, 
I inadvertently hurt their feelings. Have I made it safe? What kind of a legacy? And my thought is that the, we should aspire to leaving a legacy of only love. It's like, oh my God, you know, my dad, all I can think about is how loving he was, all the ways that he showered me and my husband and my family or my grandchildren with love, rather than, oh my God, my dad, you know, and, and a legacy yeah. of conflict, avoidance, uh, sensitivity, hurt, grudges, uh, wounds, and, and so on and so forth. Let's clean that up as we get older. That's part of putting our house in order. And that end result is leaving a legacy of love. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So to take what might be potentially a tiny tangent on that idea. So I'm really struck by this idea of um, what you're talking about relative to your family, close friends, right? People that you are doing life with. Um, but there's also this idea of like spontaneous acts of kindness, right? So where you might be able to leave a legacy of love for people whom you might never see again, um, whether it's leaving a big tip for a waitress or, you know, whatever, right? Um, yeah. And I'm just, I guess I'm just personally curious kind of what your take is on on that kind of relative to leaving a legacy of love, if, if those are also sort of things that you practice or... I don't know. It's a, I know it's a total random I question. Love it, but... <laughs> I love what you're saying because it's not only leaving a legacy of love in our wake. It's, it's what we do every day. It's whether we're practicing kindness, whether we're practicing compassion mm-hmm. and understanding. Or yeah, I wrote a piece recently on my uh, Facebook page about uh, aging impatiently. Mm. You know, and I, that sounds it like a me. Story about, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was I was on a country road up in the mountains here you know, driving behind uh, two guys and their wives who were on these three-wheeler Harleys, you know, (laughs) and they were driving 30 miles an hour. And I'm on my way to give a speech about aging courageously and how we should be patient and compassionate. (laughs) And the New Yorker in me is coming out. I'm I'm screaming. And Lisette, my wife, says, she says, you know, aren't you practicing patience? No, no. No, get them off the road. There's a turnout lane. Why aren't they turning out? (laughs) So when I got when I got to the destination, I sat down and scribbled some notes called Aging Impatiently about how we can become the more patient version of ourselves. But I love what you're saying about kindness. And I think there's an opportunity with every person we meet in every situation we're in to choose kindness over impatience or, you know, insulting a waiter or. And, and to say, you know what, if courtesy is contagious, there used to be an old slogan, courtesy is contagious. Mm-hmm. So is kindness. People have somebody act kind towards them. They want to pass it on to somebody else rather than rudeness is contagious. Somebody cuts you off. It's like, all right, you know, who can I cut off now? Let's spread the pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And by the way, it works the same way with violence. Last night I had the honor of spending time with the son of one of the great leaders in our world, uh, Shimon Peres's son. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about, we were talking about the situation in Israel and Palestine and how we need to resist revenge, the false promise of revenge, and say, you know what, I don't want one other family to suffer the way many families have suffered, my own family, and so that I'm going to try to create peace as a way of honoring what's happened Mm -hmm. rather than perpetuate the violence and the anger uh, that that's going on in our world today. Yeah. Ken, was this always your tendency 
to live this way? I, I think it has been over the years, but you know, I've, I've also got, as I shared with you, an impatient side. I've got a side of me that, you know, at times, I, I mean, we're all a work in progress, me included. Sure, and, sure. you know, at times I, I will sit and I will say, you know, I'm grieving the loss of my younger self. I can't run that hiking trail anymore. And, you know, I'll, but I think it's important for us to know that we're all a work in progress. We're all human. We're going to sometimes fear is going to win. We'll be paralyzed by our own fears. Sometimes avoidance is going to win or resistance is going to win. And but the, the bigger part of us, the part of us that we need to choose and feed and nourish and cultivate is the side that is more courageous, is the side that is that chooses kindness instead of revenge or anger or, you know, taking things so personally and and uh, making ourselves unapproachable. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it sounds like you have a base of understanding uh, principles, ethics, and morals <clears throat> that you've been able to articulate now. I mean, it mm-hmm. shows in the book, and it shows by your descriptions today, and I, I know that's something we appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, in your book, you also talk about workshops. Yeah. And as long as we don't um, book it at the same time, the biker convention is in town. <laughs> there you um, go. Tell us a little no, bit I about those. I hope to be those. coming back to Indianapolis for, to give a workshop in 2018. Are you? I'm hoping, when I say back to Indianapolis area, uh, you're talking to somebody who went to Franklin College for a year. Oh, oh okay. See? I okay. lived in Franklin, and I... I uh, I knew somebody at the time who was one of my heroes. At the time, I was a basketball player, and Dick Van Arsdale. Oh, wow. I remember Dick and Tom Van Arsdale That's were buddies right. of mine. Boy, I those were Dick. players, though. Wow. Yeah. You're talking Dick about said, players. Dick said, you've got to come to Franklin. You've got to play ball here, huh. and it'll be a good stepping stone for you for your college career and so on. And and I loved living and spending time in Indianapolis. I hope to return to give a courageous aging workshop sometime in 2018. That is great. That would be great, yeah. Well, see, back then, then that would have made with you five people living in Franklin. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There you go. Wow. <laughs> okay. It was a great school. Yeah. It, 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 well, yeah. And we have some really nice small schools in Indiana that are, are excellent programs and uh, comfortable, uh, not inexpensive places to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I, I I hope to return, and this coming year is so exciting. There's so many good things happen, and I, I really do believe that there's a wave that we're on the, the verge of a, a major change in this country in the way we look at how old we are, the way the weight that we put into and how many how much we use the number of years we've been alive as a measuring stick for who we are. We're so much greater than that number, and we all have to face into what the opportunity is of being where we are at this point in life, what the gifts are, and how we can live our best possible futures. Excellent, That's Dr. Perfect. Chuck. Thank you so much. Courageous Aging. Yep. Excellent book. We'll, we look uh, for the future. Yeah, and we'll list your uh, website and information on when we post the podcast, and we're super happy to have you join us. Um, sometime, was, sometimes we have people who follow up with questions and answers, so we would love to reach back out to you uh, in the future for more of your insight and wisdom. I would be honored. It was a pleasure spending time. And again, thank you for having me in your living room. And anybody who wants to find out more can go to the kendruck.com website 
and that that'd be a great place or any questions I can answer that have arisen for anybody here. We actually have a Facebook discussion group. Oh, so, and perfect. I welcome, I welcome anybody. We have the most interesting conversations. People bring up issues that I haven't even thought of about the experience of getting older. And it's a blessing if we're getting older. It's a good thing. Yeah. But how do we make the most of it? And they, people come up with the greatest questions. We have the greatest discussions. And I welcome all your listeners to join us. Thank you so much. I, I have a feeling this is the beginning book. <laughs> of courageous aging over time. I thank you so much, Sean, and thank you, Amy. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Druck. Have a great day. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So? So. I still have bad knees and I can't run. It pisses me off. So oh, okay? well, you're supposed to be it. courageously aging. That, I think, is impatient aging, actually. Yeah, well, Ken's so no. calming. I didn't want to bring up my bad <laughs> knees and not being able to run. And, and honestly, it sounds so silly, but the truth is the day that after several knee surgeries and et cetera, et cetera, <clears throat> my capacity, my ability to go and run, and I wasn't a distance runner. I just like to run. I like to, on occasion, you know, I can't play basketball. I can't, my knees can't tolerate that. It takes away a lot of what I enjoyed in life and can't think about really doing anymore. And, and honestly, I don't like it. That's why you're supposed to read the book. I'm not and courageous <laughs> about it so far. So I, you I have do some work to, to do. Well, actually, yeah. I can relate, right? Doing athletic sorts of things and watching as you age it not working quite the same way. But <laughs> I pictured it. Like, but at the same yeah. time, I mean, I don't know. I just like to be able to step back and say, like, yeah, I can't do this, but I can still do these things. And I think yeah. that, like, well, see, you're acting like the book. Well, I'm gonna work on that. Work on like, it, okay? Yeah. Well, there's a workshop coming up. Hopefully, I'll get you. I'll get you a ticket. <laughs> it it sounded like you were saying, "Hey, 2018 is a great workshop for you people because I right. know Benzinger needs." I'll, it. I'll get you okay? a ticket. All right. Well, <laughs> so that's a wrap. Okay. Excellent. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger, Humarian Health Podcast, spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. That's right. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. 